0: It's Monday, November 9th, 2015, and you're listening to episode 28 of Roll Up and Die.
1: Why have you disturbed our
2: sleep? Awakened us from our ancient slumber. You are die!
0: Special live the roll up and die podcast, and uh, we're joined today by a, uh, a magnificent writer of Lovecraftian horror, uh, Jeff Thomas, um, and uh, he's been a friend of mine for a long time, and uh, I'm really happy to have him here. How are you doing, Jeff? Doing well, thank you. Thanks for having me, Alex. Yeah. Oh no, no, it's it's. We've been trying to hook something like this up for a while, and I've been meaning to to talk to Jeff. We've been in touch through as we were talking earlier, there's sort of this this strange ether of, of Facebook. But uh, <laughs> where we imagine that we are in contact, but are we really?
3: Yeah. <laughs> who, can say, who can say what the nature of reality is? <laughs> exactly. All <the>
0: so,
3: <laughs> now, now, normally when we start
0: a podcast, we, we engage in some uh, what we feel to be humorous banter. Uh, I don't know if uh, it is or not, but uh, we can... Uh, we, we usually pretend it is. But in this case, I'd like to, uh, because we have a special guest writer, someone, a published writer. Now, although each of us is published, we are self-published, and, uh, but you are other-published, I guess, if that's a word, <laughs> and so probably have a bit more credibility than we do. So um, would you, uh, uh, I don't know, be, be comfortable giving us a little bio of your work? I mean, particularly Punk Town, which is... Uh, uh, the most popular, I guess, of your, mm-hmm. your uh, offerings at this point.
3: Sure. Sure. Uh, yeah, I am... I, I write... Uh, I've written a, a good number of novels and short story collections that uh, um, could either... they fall within the genres of science fiction and horror, uh, basically, but I also am very fond of blending genres and um, defying genres, I guess. Um, and my, I guess my most notable creation is Punktown, which is a, a city on a, on a, in the far future, on, a, on a, another world that's been colonized by Earth people. They've kind of displaced the indigenous people, and, and uh, there are all these races from other worlds and other dimensions even that have all come together in this city. And it's a, it's a very dystopian city. There's a lot of crime. And uh, I've set many short stories and novels in this city, and they tend not to share protagonists. The Each Punctown story kind of stands on its own, mm. so yeah. it's not necessary to read them in any kind of order. Um, so they, they create a, a, a mosaic effect overall. And there's been a few that shared uh, a protagonist, but that's not the norm. And, um, and I've written a, a, a good number of other novels and short story collections as well. And... Um, and I have done some self-publishing uh, too, because I don't think there's a need to that uh, these days. You know, that with all the the um, works that are published on uh, through Kindle and so forth. Not, yeah. that they all, not that they all should be published, but they but they are. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I've, recently, uh, I've recently published, uh, republished a, a fair amount of my own books that uh, where where the rights have reverted to me. Oh, nice. And I didn't want them to just go out of print, so I I put them out as digital versions myself, and even and even print versions. Um mm-hmm. so it's not my, it, it's not what I um, I try to to, to be published. Uh, yeah, you know elsewhere. But um, it's good to know that that I can self-publish to keep my works available. Sure, sure, and and. Uh
0: and uh, to take it more back towards, uh, you know, our, our particular ideas, which are about role playing, mm-hmm. uh, you were recently your stories were recently sort of used as an inspiration for uh, the basis of a role playing game from uh,
3: Chaosium. Uh, not from not from Chaosium, Chaosium. It was actually uh, huh. the project was begun by uh, an outfit called Miskatonic River Press. Ah, okay. And they, do, um, they, they would do gaming supplements for Call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. And um, and also they started creating a, a, a line of original fiction. And they, they put out a, a wonderful anthology that was a tribute anthology to Thomas Ligotti uh, called Grim Scribes Puppets. Um, recently, um, uh, the, 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 the guy in charge of Miskatonic River, Tom Lynch, who's a good mm-hmm. friend of mine, uh, decided to retire the the imprint. So, um, he, he, he he was going to put out the Punk Town role-playing game. It was successfully Mm -hmm. funded on Kickstarter, uh, three Mm -hmm. years ago. And, um, and, uh, so, he handed the project off to an outfit called Chronicle City. And, um, so it's still in the works. Mm -hmm. It's almost complete. All the text is complete. Um, and, um and uh, the only thing that remains apparently is to have some more of the interior artwork done. Gotcha. Um, so, so, um, it, Tom Lynch actually did come back into the picture to kind of make sure that the that the book would come to fruition. So, um, but like I say, right now it's in the, um, it's in the art stage. Mm-hmm. And it's got a really good art coordinator behind it now, Stephanie McCallia, uh, and, um, it's got a great cover painting by a, a Polish artist named Mariusz Ganzel. And uh, interior illustrations by Peter Smir and uh, Johnny Billy Bob Gray. These are, these are really cool people. <laughs> it's got some really good... Uh, uh, it, it, uh, it, the, 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 the project, the guy who came to me and suggested that Punk Town would make a good um, sena- setting for a, a role-playing game was uh, this guy named Michael Treska, who was a fan of my work and he wrote a book called The Evolution of Fantasy Role-Playing Games that was published oh, nice. by McFarland. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't, I really don't play role-playing games, so if <laughs> i just stick his word for it. Okay, it sounds good to me. So he, he talked to Tom Lynch at Miskatonic River Press about it, and then they got these people together, uh, Brian Sammons, Glenn Owen Barris, uh, to, to write scenarios. And I wrote two original short stories to go into the, to, to the guidebook, Mm-hmm. To kind of give a, a sense of the punk town flavor but Michael Tresca did a really awesome job of creating kind of like an a punk town encyclopedia with all the different alien races and yeah. weapons and so forth and monsters and and the various lovecraftian elements that that can be uh, utilized in, in the punk town setting mm-hmm. and Michael Tresca kind of pulled all that together when he made the rule book so it's going to be really really cool you know yeah. it's, been a long way and and, and um, you know I'm sure the people who who um, supported the project are, you know they're probably a little antsy for it, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. it's still in the works. Well, I, I mean
0: just from just from a, a surface viewing, I mean it's it's a brilliant setting for a role playing game. I mean you've got you have uh, aliens, you have Lovecraftian uh, uh, gods, uh, you have. Robots. Yeah, I mean, you've got pretty much everything <laughs> in, in this thing. <laughs> it, it's 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 quite a mix. I mean, you could you could throw almost anything in there and it would work.
3: Really, really. And you know what, Alex, the the, the one I'm sure a big influence on me has years ago was uh, when I first knew, met you in 1985. I didn't know anything like I said about role playing games or anything, and uh, you let me borrow the the monster manual from Dungeons right? <laughs> and Dragons, and that thing of just Blew my mind because I thought at first it was kind of like, "Why? Wait a minute! There's dragons in here. There's dinosaurs. There's blobs. There's this." It's I, I thought, "How does this all come together?" It just seems too incongruous. There is a cube yeah.
4: made of jello.
3: Yeah, it's like <laughs> I never saw a cube this made of all jello.
2: Q if you fall into it, yeah, <laughs> it, was exactly. all, it didn't seem
3: to me like stuff that could all come together. But that was what intrigued me. Yeah. And then I, and then um, not all that long after that, I started playing The Legend of Zelda, the first Legend of Zelda game, and they they <laughs> kind of employed that same approach. Sure. They had the blobs and the dragons, everything. And I thought, how cool it is that you can just throw all this stuff together, you know? Now I'd already been writing Punk Town stories since 1980, you know, um, yeah. and it was, and, and 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 so it didn't really. Radically changed my approach to Punk Town but it, it, sh- it, but still, it kind of fortified the idea that I could just keep throwing more and more weird stuff. Yeah, there. It, it will, it will work. You know, probably my I, first. Uh, I'm sorry.
0: No, I was gonna say, yeah, it, it sort of
3: reinforced your, what your I was vision. Doing, it, it, it was, that was funny. It that at first, my sense of, of was was to rebel against this combination, but it really, but it really. Agreed with what my vision was for Punk Town, but my, I I, some, I get a lot of people saying, uh, oh, Blade Runner, you know, but again, uh, and cyberpunk, but Punk Town, I started cr- creating it in 1980, f- first conceived of it in 1980, that was two years before Blade Runner came out, two years right. before people started using the term cyberpunk, so I, I, I'm... I, I w- I'm happy to admit where my influences are, but I just want to get them right, you know? Yeah. My initial inspiration was like the Mos Eisley spaceport. I thought, this is so cool, all these aliens together. I thought, what if this wasn't just some like little dusty Old West kind of a town, but what mm-hmm. if it was, it was a whole city, on a, a, a gigantic metropolis, but of that same character of Mos Eisley, we have all these races coming together, and it's dangerous. So I will admit to Moss Eisley being an influence.
0: <laughs> no, and, and it's it again from a role playing standpoint, having this, this sort of open world where almost anything is possible is just incredible for a game master, someone who's running a game to be able to tap into almost any genre mm-hmm. you know, where you can you know you can have an adventure that is just pure horror. You can have an adventure that's sci-fi. You can have an adventure that's cyberpunk. You can have an adventure that is, um, you know, more, uh, uh political intrigue, that sort of thing. Yeah. And they all work together in this in this sort of setting. And so I, that that that's one of the things that I love about your settings is that they, um, they can go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, they're not they're not limited by, um. Well, you know, we're we're doing a, uh, a, a detective. You know, noir sort of game. So we're gonna we're gonna just stick with that. Mm-hmm. And 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 in in Punk Town, you know, the there's there's really no, not that sort of limit.
3: Yeah, that, that's that's you know, so it, it made sense to me that when when you know Michael, like I said, Michael Trussell came to me and said this would really be because I can see where that would appeal to other people and gamers mm-hmm. because it's what appeals to me every time. I, I return to Punk Town, it's, I'm, it's like I'm exploring another part or I'm meeting new people myself and so I can see how other people could kind of step in my shoes and they actually get the they would actually have the opportunity to be the creator, to, to do what I'm doing and take yeah. characters through their paces and create new characters or utilize existing characters and so forth and and so it's gratifying to me that other people can feel the excitement that I feel when I'm creating a A a punk town story. Uh,
0: Yeah. So Matt and Barker, what do you guys think about? I mean, that that sort of sensation of being being the creator.
4: Well, I I was actually just thinking right now. I had this question. You know, what do you? How do you get inspired to create something like that? As in, like you know, because you you are a storyteller of you know primarily horror, correct?
3: Um, I I. Sure. It's, like,
4: it's like asking someone what kind of music they make.
3: Yeah. Like, uh, well well. I, I don't I, I'm not one of these writers who say, "Oh no, I'm not a horror writer." like they, they they don't want to be associated with the genre, but it's more like I don't want to be um, like I don't want to be old it's, I, I, it's, it's hard to to want to just sure. wear one hat, one label with one label and, on. It.
4: And absolutely, um, and you know actually I'll, I'll rephrase the question. You're a writer, correct? Yes. <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's, you know, <laughs> I'm a, totally a storyteller weird. in a way, yes. uh, in a huge way. Yeah. And, you know, the, the people who run these role-playing games are storytellers in their own way. Mm-hmm. And, so, and, and, and I think that the two jobs are very similar. So, you know, if the people who are listening are interested in, in getting motivated to write a story or just coming up with an idea that's fluid and makes sense and isn't dumb or isn't cliché, so my question is how do you what if, if step one is writing words on paper, what's your step zero? How do you get psyched? How do you, how do you get inspired? How do you start writing?
3: It, it varies not only from story to story but also from punk town story to punktown story. It, 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 some stories come to me with, a, with an image, you know just a, just a mental picture of some strange thing and sometimes it's more of a concept, something maybe, maybe more abstract. Um,
4: Definitely, like some, a, an image, like an, a physical image or something yeah. like that, an image in your
3: head? It could be like a, a, like a location or kind of a creature mm. or some strange, mm. bizarre technology or some, some kind of, just a, like a mental picture of, of, of any number of things. But sometimes it's a, it's something I want to make a social co- commentary about because punk town is a, like Alex was saying where you could have political intrigue in, in, a, in a plot line. Um, punk town is a good vehicle for making social commentary
1: mm-hmm.
3: um, as I as I have said in the past I don't see punk town it's not an opportunity for me to speculate on what the future is going to be like. It's more of an examination of the way we are now and the way we just the etern- eternal. Human condition, but it's mm-hmm. seen through a kind of distorting lens, like a, mm-hmm. of, of satire. And um, so sometimes a, an issue, some kind of of a human issue, will be my impetus for a story. Um, then other times I'm invited to to participate in different anthologies with a might have a theme. It might be mm-hmm. this you know, Lovecraftian theme or a or a noir kind of a theme. And I'll think, okay, I'll, I'll, I'm going to write a Punk town story to address this theme. How can I write this detective story <laughs> but set it in Punk town Or how can I write this Lovecraftian story set it in Punk town mm-hmm. So that's another means by which I, uh, kind of, that would be kind of a mechanical approach. Yeah. Uh, but um, but the, I guess the, the bottom line is that any number of <laughs> ways that I might come at a story
4: you just take it and run with it, whatever it is
3: yeah, yeah, it's just that punk town has become my my playground, and I <laughs> guess punktown is like uh um just it, it's it's my I don't know if you ever ever read the, the novel um hannibal yeah, yeah. In, in in that novel, there was this really compelling scene that took us inside hannibal's i, I can't remember what they called it his memory palace or something. Mm-hmm. It was like it was this mental space that he filled with all the artifacts of his life, and he kind of almost personifies them into physical things. Punktown's kind of like my memory palace. It's it's kind of like inside of this world are all the the, the B science fiction movies that I loved as a kid and all <laughs> the horror movies, and I put them all this stuff into in, into this same attic space. Where it, it, it where it's not all uh, segregated into boxes but it, it, it's all jumbled together and I can you know like when I was a kid when I would play I'd, I'd have my astronaut guys fighting my you know my, my action figures monsters and it was all good you know and uh, that's how punk what punk town is like and, um, and it's just <laughs> you know, it's, it's, my comfor- it's my comfort it's my comfort. It's my, my, my happy place, you know, as, as <laughs> nightmarish as it is. And I just love to go there and play. And, and I know that world probably better than I know the real world. And I don't... <laughs> if I write a story, like, like if I write a story about Vietnam, you know, contemporary Vietnam, which is a country I love. I've been there nine times. And, and as, as familiar as I am with that country, if I'm sitting down writing a story about Vietnam, what, what, what brings me up short every time is, like, okay... Uh, you got into a car, and I'm like, "Okay, what kind of cars do they have in Vietnam?" Next thing you know, I'm researching. I want to get it right, yeah, right. And, and that, and that, and I love researching, but it's the the the, the constraints of the real world kind of I feel like they bind me. I'm always coming up short. I, you know, whereas in Punktown, I don't have to. I'm in control of everything. i I make the cars. I make the rules of the road, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say I, th- I think
0: you just described why every everyone I know wants to be a DM. You <laughs> know or a GM? Because <laughs> because they can bring that that creativity into their world. They can create create it how they want. They don't have to be constrained by, you know, by the real world. No, that, that's not universal. There are people who, you know, play Call of Cthulhu, which is you know, usually set in twenties, but there are variations that set are set in the forties, fifties, sixties, you know, and earlier. Mm-hmm. So, um, but that that idea that you can sort of create your own world and not be constrained by, you know, by history, reality, or anything like that is is just incredible. That that uh, um, uh, that a, that a GM can. Can set up this own this story, that even they don't know how it's going to turn out because they're setting out for players who are, you know, going to be unpredictable. You don't know what your players are going to do,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, um, I think that's one of the attractions for me as a as a as a game master who plays. You know, I play D and play Call of Cthulhu. I play, you know, uh, uh, several other games, and. Uh, as a gm I love that that feeling of i start i start this story and i don't know where the players are going to take it mm-hmm. so their their interactions with the world i've created you know kind of drives the story forward it must and be,
3: uh, yeah it must be a wonderful feeling that my the fact that i don't play role playing games has nothing to do with me not wanting to or not being not seeing the the, the mm. Value of it, you know. It sounds like it would be fantastic. It's just something that I've just never taken the opportunity to do. But I like what you're saying about how you you the the, the, you have as the master. You have the the uh, you're kind of like creating the story uh, story storyline. But like you said, it's it's more of a of a collaboration. It is.
0: Absolutely. And you you sort of set the story in motion. So mm-hmm. you set up, okay, there's this group that is doing this action, mm-hmm. and there are these people who are also involved, and then you just sort of push it and let it go. And then you introduce that to the players, and then they interact with it, and suddenly it can all change wow. depending on how they interact
3: with it. I, you know, so. It, it, it's really an extraordinary experience. It must be. Something that's weird for me though, where, where I think part of the reason why people write um, novels and, and short stories mm-hmm. is they, they aspire to be, they want their work to be locked, locked into a physical reality and to be perpetuated. They, they, it's kind of like uh, they, it's something for the future. They it's kind of their their um grasping for immortality. You know how yeah. how many writers are going to achieve anything like that? It's of course minimal, but it's it's <laughs> still it's still some kind of a compulsion there. The the yeah. funny thing with with me that maybe you could sh- show me your perspective on this is creating this wonderful story in in a, in a, in the course of a game, it seems to me that this, this story is something that I would want to capture, but the nature of it as a game seems like it would be kind of something ephemeral. Mm. Do you have a sense of that? Like, oh, I, we should write this down, or, or is it just kind of <laughs> like, this is just the way it, it's, it's natural for you to kind of let it go, and next week we, we make a new story?
2: You know, it, it's, for me, it's one of those things where the fact that it is sort of ephemeral, like you say, is sort of one of the draws of it, that it's, like, it's these little perfect moments, you know, and you kind of remember those moments, and, you know, I look back on games that I played, you know, six or seven or eight years ago, and I still remember specific moments from them. Yeah. But with the advent of, you know, things like Google Hangouts, right, like what we're on right now, you know, you can have games, and you can record them and have them forever, and you can go back and watch them whenever you want. But, you know, I don't find myself going back and watching them all that often. You know, I might go back and watch the most recent sessions so that I remember, you know, what was going on as I write the next mm. session. But yeah. for me, the fact that it is like that, that little fleeting kind of thing is kind of part of the allure for me. I like that it is sort of this little, it just, th- these little moments, you know, that just sort of happen and then they're, you know, they certainly have echoes throughout the other sessions and you remember them, but. I don't know. It just it kind of works for me. Yeah, I actually
0: do know a GM though who, um, uh, who I was a player in his game, and and he's actually working on a storyline that he plans to publish. So he used role playing games as sort of a a way to write the story. Um, so that that was kind of cool. I, I I hope he ends up doing it because it was uh, it it was a uh, a great storyline, from my perspective as a player. Um, so, however, he kind of crafts it into a, you know, a publishable
3: narrative. Uh, I'd be interested in seeing that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny. Um, one one of the um, the scenarios for the Punktown uh, mm. book uh, was written by Brian Sammons, who is a, uh, a writer, and he's also yeah. been the editor of many. Oh, you, of course, you know Brian.
0: Yeah, yeah, he, he actually uh, wrote a couple articles for uh, Theatre of
3: the Mind magazine. Yes, that's right. Well, Brian <laughs> wrote this great scenario for uh, all the scenarios uh, written by Brian G- uh, Glenn Owen Barris and, and Tom Lynch for the book are excellent. But Brian, Brian came to me and he said, uh, um, how, how would you feel about you and I collaborating on, on in turning this scenario into a novel? Oh neat. And I and so that's what we've been working on and uh for the past few years. Um and I've written what how we decided to do it was um I would write the first half and he would write the second half and wrap it up. And so um it's cool because the collab, where the collaboration comes in here is it's my world punk town, mm-hmm. it's his story, uh but I'm a adapting his story and kinda of changing elements of it. I write the first half, hand it off to him, and he carries the element yeah. that I've created. So it's really cool, the back and forth of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so it, it's in, the, the ball's in his court now, so it'll be interesting to see how it all comes together. Well that, that's actually very much like a role-playing game where,
0: uh, especially if, you, if the GM gives the players a lot of agency, where they can sort of st- you know, kind of create parts of the world themselves, mm-hmm. where they can. Um, uh, as as a GM personally, I like to let my players create things, so they can. If they're sitting around the campfire at night, you know, during a long journey, they can they can just sort of make stuff up. You know, well, you know, when I was a boy, I, I was in this town and this happened, and they can just make it up on the spot, and now that becomes a part of the world. Cool. You know, just on uh, you know because because they came up with it. That's cool and yeah no it's 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 really awesome I love that sort of creation I mean I've been running the same uh, role-playing world essentially for ugh, probably about probably close to 20 years now
1: wow.
0: and it, it it evolves over time where you know new players come in I run a campaign in that world and everything they do adds to it like uh, just to you know kind of geek out and give a little you know, a little story here. There was a campaign I was running, and these characters were trapped in this vast sort of, you know, salt, you know, just salt desert. You know, it was one of those uh, hard pan, you know, salt flats. Mm-hmm. And, um, they, the only way they could get out was to use a, a spell called Shadow Step, which you have to find this, this area of deep shadow and, um, you know, create this gate that you can sort of step through and travel great distances. Cool. And so um, they were attacked by these, uh, by these, by these fanatics, these, these religious fanatics who were trying to destroy them. They ended up killing them, and they took the corpses and formed them into this sort of little cave. You know, they kind of tied them together. And uh, so they, it made enough shadow where they were able to create this gate to, to get out of this desert. And uh, uh, several years later, I had this group of players go into the exact same desert. And as they were traveling across, they came across this gate, which was, by this time, it was years later. So it was just this sort of mummified, you know, <laughs> gate of corpses all tied together with, you know, uh, with, with ropes and, and bits of uh, twine and whatnot. And it, it was just awesome for, the, for the, these, these new players to come into this and say, you know, what the hell is this? Why is this here? And I, you know, I knew that it had been created in this previous campaign, so it was uh, it was cool for me because, you know, I, I knew the background of it, and it was cool for them because it was, it was just this really creepy, sort of mysterious construction. They had no why this, they had no reason, you know, no knowledge of why this thing was built in the middle of this desert, just
3: this, you know, structure of corpses. Sculpture. How cool, how cool that is! I like the idea that it's almost as if there's there's a real passage of time. Yeah. In this in this um, fictitious reality, you know. So there's a real sense of history and of, of of time moving forward and so forth. I like that a lot. That's that's very cool. But
1: what how, how, you how do you
3: remember all the these books. details though? <laughs> and, and, and when, uh, you, when you when <laughs> Lots of notes. <laughs> I
4: think it's I think it's interesting because you know you mentioned uh, you know you have you have the car keys to Punktown. You mm-hmm. design. You are the mayor of Punktown. Yeah. And, <laughs> and in a way, when it comes to role playing <laughs> games, the the most difficult thing I think that is also the most necessary is surrendering that control because yeah. you are the architect of the story. But you're only allowed the foundation. Uh, Or or, here's a better analogy that Tim Carney from Tabletop Chairs uses: that you know those Looney Tunes cartoons where you see the, uh, you know the the rail car just going fast, and they're building the tracks as they're going. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly how a lot of people run their role-playing games. Is that you know it's kind of like Stephen King. He says he was a pantser, right? He just wrote by the seat of his pants. Which you know, a lot of people argue he couldn't end a book to save his life. Well, you know, it, sorry. Uh, anyway, let's, I love Stephen King. So I like Stephen King also. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm with you on that. But uh, <laughs> but the you know, it's 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 almost like the the important part is being able to surrender the control over your own mm-hmm. world, your own story, because the other people around your table, they don't. I mean, they they're playing characters in your story, but it's almost like yeah. they're playing characters in their own story, and you're just the one to tell it to them.
3: That's a fascinating relationship. But does the, the does the map the game master ever have to kind of rein people in if they kind of like, no, that's inconsistent with this world, yeah. or well, yes,
4: very much so. Uh, a lot of a lot of uh, game masters will do that before the game uh, yeah. even starts by saying, hey, you know what, there's no no blue-winged fairies in this world. Sorry, Mom. You know? <laughs> and it's like, okay, all right. But, well, uh,
0: well, now, or sometimes during the game. I was going to say, it's, it, it is a relationship. I mean, if, if you're playing with people, like I play with a group online now that I'm really comfortable with. And so I know that I can set up, um, uh, set up a world with them and give them all the agency they want, and I know they're not going to abuse it they're not going to take it beyond what the the boundaries of this world allow for mm-hmm. so uh, a, a lot of it is um, you know once you reach a certain point with your players you can sort of let them go and just you know run in this playground and then it becomes a more collaborative effort if you're with new players you sort of have to establish that sort of uh, relationship you know, find out what their, you know, what their, what their world is like. You know, what they expect, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, th- I, I like that uh, Barker mentioned Stephen King because even he, he has said, like, I'm a big fan of the uh, Dark Tower series, and I'm, I'm actually listening to it again on audio. And uh, even Stephen King has said that he had no idea where the story was going until he actually wrote it. You know, he, he, again, it's it's almost like there are, you know, kind of role players in his head, you know, playing these things out. And it's like, oh, well, that's interesting. I wasn't expecting that,
3: but okay, I'll write it down. You know, <laughs> does that ever happen to you, Jeff? Or? Yeah, yeah, it's actually, I am usually write that way. I write, and, and that's why I really admire what you're saying about how you guys are all just kind of, like, spontaneously, on the spot, you're just, you're you're creating as you go. The I as a writer, uh, who, the kind of thing that I'm doing, I can stop, I can go back, I can revise, I can study what I've done. It's it's. But when you're just like diving in the deep end of the pool and you and you gotta s- swim to keep the story afloat, you know that's that's impressive to me. But Definitely. but yeah, when I when I write, I I tend to write very organically. Um, and again, as I was saying before, I don't have one approach. I, sometimes I might have a lot of notes. Yeah. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I have the, the ending already in my head. Sometimes I, I only have the initial scene, and I'm just going scene by scene, and, and like you're saying about Stephen King, I, I don't know where it's going to go. Um, only three novels I've ever written did I write with an with a extremely detailed outline and that was because it was a prerequisite with that particular publisher mm-hmm. and those my three biggest books they were mass-market books and so they do it very differently where
1: yeah
3: if you wanna do this with us you have gotta give us a, a one-sentence pitch a one-paragraph pitch a one-page pitch a chapter-by-chapter chapter outline and some character breakdowns give us a sense of these characters their names what what they're about you, you, you give this to them and that what they do is they show it to their marketing department. Mm. The marketing department is the, are the ones who gave the green light on the they're the ones who thumbs up or thumbs down. If they think they could market it based on what you just did <laughs> then they say okay now write the book which You're right. and that's how I I, I I don't know if all the big publishers do that but the, the, the publisher that I worked with which is actually um, Game Workshop, um, they had, their, they had um, one imprint called the um, Black Library, and I did, and they had me do an original Nightmare on Elm Street novel for them. Oh, under, nice. Under that imprint. That was a lot of fun. And after that, I did two Punk Town novels for them called Dead Stock and Blue War. Mm-hmm. And, did, and that was under their Solaris uh, imprint. And uh, that was the prerequisite for them. So I had to do a, a very structured outline, chapter yeah. by chapter, and then adhere to that. But once they gave me the green light, it was cool because... The plot's already there in front of me. Now I could have fun just fleshing it all out. You know, Um, that was the only; those three books were the only time that I wrote in a way that was very architectural, like that.
0: Yeah, that 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 can be a trick for the GM. Now, Uh, someone who doesn't understand, you know, doesn't role play. uh, There are really sort of two paths that the GM can take. They can write up a lot of stuff and sort of you know, have a story sort of, not quite preordained, but, you know, have a have a strong story arc mm-hmm. in place. And there are others who are more, sand, you know, we call sandboxy, where, it, you know, it's a sandbox where you have things going on, and it, it's really about, at that point, how the players decide to interact with it. Mm. I'm, I'm certainly more of a sandbox uh, GM where, you know, I might have villains and characters in this world that are they have plans, they have plots, they have things going on, mm-hmm. but they are uh, susceptible, I guess, to to the cha- to to the whims of the players as soon as they begin to interact with them, you know. So once they once the players begin to interact with these plots, the plots mm-hmm. change. And so uh, as a GM, it's really kind of cool being able to uh, you know to set up a villain let 's say uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: just to give it black and white, and the villain says i 'm going to introduce this you know plague to a city because it 'll please my God and I can you know wipe out this populace and increase my power mm-hmm. um, so that that 's their plan and, and they have a plan in which to do that now what 's the players uh, the player characters sort of enter that scenario? They're going to interact with it and suddenly begin to either, you know, change it, or interfere with it, or, you mm. know, maybe not, <laughs> you know, depending on how it goes. But at that point, I, I love being a GM in that point because I'm excited because things change. You know, mm. I, I I you know, it's it's kind of like being a writer except that you get to be surprised by what happens. Um, I I don't know. Uh, you know, as as a writer, do you get to be surprised by what happens? Do you like write a, you know, do do you like write something and like, whoa, I didn't think that was going to happen.
3: <laughs> yeah, not not to the extent that you're talking about, because you're you're, you know, you had you're but you're interacting with other people, so there's really going to be stuff coming at you that yeah. you can't fully anticipate. It's kind of hard to surprise yourself, but it's still something of that nature <laughs> happens. Yeah. I remember, I always think of this story, it was very interesting to me, I was reading a book uh, by William Peter Blatty about uh, how he came to write The Exorcist, and really how he turned it into a screenplay, and he said when he was writing it, he put in this little bit about, there was this director in the the story called Burke Dennings, and he had this habit of um, tearing the edge off of a a script as he was reading it, and wadding it up, and I think he would like chew on it, or some little thing Mm. like that just kind of came up with this quirk and he didn't really have any reason for it. And then um, then he, he realized he needed somebody to die in the in the story to have the, the little girl kill somebody yeah. to add this kind of um, murder mystery aspect to it as well. They made a little bit more out of it in the in the book. And then he 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 suddenly had this inspiration. He said, oh my God, Burke Dennings is gonna die. Yeah. He he yeah. he used that thing about tearing the edge of the paper off as a clue later on they found a, a book that he'd been reading in the little girl's room uh, he decided to go and sit with her for a while and they and then she threw him out the window whatever turned his head around yeah. but they, the the detective or somebody found that book i think the mom found it and she opened it up and she saw the torn off page and she realized oh my god he was in the room with her he he she killed him but the point of it was is that like it was like Blatty, what he was trying to get across was that his subconscious was lining up the pieces Yeah. and be, like behind his back. And, mm-hmm. then he, and then suddenly the curtain was drawn away and he realized what was coming together as if some other aspect of himself was putting it together. Mm-hmm. And now I will experience things of that nature where it's yeah. like, yeah, and you see it coming together. It's like some other, like... <clears throat> Some other level of 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 yourself, some other floor of your conscious. Things are going on there sometimes, Mm -hmm. and you 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 don't really you're not really privy (laughs) privy to it until you take the elevator. You know, right? Right. I I I ran
0: a uh, when I first started my my previous campaign. Um, one of the characters was you know kind of dodgy. They like to uh, steal things, and. I knew that this paladin, who was an NPC, a non-player character, was going to encounter a werewolf. Okay, and the this the player character, one of the players, um, decided he was going to like, you know, just kind of just kind of steal a dagger from this paladin. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was it was an in you know relatively innocuous event, but what that inspired in me was you know, something that came later which was they found the body of this this paladin who had been killed, a friend of theirs, someone that their characters had developed a relationship with and he'd been killed by the werewolf reaching for his dagger and, and just his hand was still grasped on his empty scabbard that his dagger had been in. You know, so now this character who found him you know, realized that by taking that dagger, he had, you know, he had maybe caused this person's death. Oh. And so it, uh, as a GM, as soon as he took that dagger, because I, I had already sort of planned that, okay, I'm going to have this, you know, this paladin encounter this werewolf and something's going to happen. I hadn't sort of fully worked out what it was, but as soon as that player character
3: yeah. took the dagger, I was like, oh so you're improvising, cool. playing, playing off of, it's kind of like sounds to me almost like a, a good analogy would be like a tennis, you know where the yeah. you don't know where that ball is going to be coming from but you, you're going to hit it back to them and, and it's going to be this continuous chain of, of events that you can keep playing off of each other
0: Exactly, and, and, and that, that that is actually a great analogy because you don't know where the players are going to you know, what they're going to pick on, what they're going to, you know, kind of gravitate to what what story, Mm. uh, thread they're going to pick up on and that you as a GM kind of have to build on that because it's a very, you know, uh, uh, active participation. You have to sort of look at what the players do and say, okay, uh, since they did that, now this is going to happen as a result of it.
1: Mm.
0: So it's, 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 it's a very exciting, uh, uh, it's a very exciting thing and, w- and, w- and when it happens it's it's just awesome for a GM because you know like oh, this is so- this is something they're gonna remember yeah. they're gonna they're gonna remember this
3: very cool when I, when I what makes me curious, so is given all that could happen and, and, and the flexibility and, and the different plot lines that may unfold, how does a game come to an end? how do you know when is is there an end huh. Is, it, is there ever a clear-cut end to this,
0: uh, Barker or Matt? Uh,
4: well, uh, I'm going to go with Matt because I think he's ended more campaigns than I've ended.
2: Matt? <laughs> <laughs> I guess there comes a certain point. You know, sometimes you plan. You, you might say, okay, this campaign is going to be three or four sessions and here's the kind of vague arc that I'd like to do. Or, you know, you could be doing something where there's no end goal in sight and you're just kind of taking it session by session and you might have some you might have some vague big-picture stuff in mind, like, oh, I think the final battle with the villain is going to be like this, or, you know, I think there's going to be this moment and this moment that's going to happen. But eventually you kind of get to the point where you're like, you feel the story kind of wrapping up. Wow. Uh, and you kind of have, like, for me in the campaigns that I've ended, it it gets to that point where I go, oh, I need to start wrapping this up. Like I, I'm, It's getting to the point where things are getting closed off and it's going to start dragging out now. So if I want to keep the momentum, if I want to keep this game exciting, if I want to keep it moving forward, I need to stop it. And so you start thinking, okay, in two or three sessions, we're going to be done. So what do we need to wrap up before that happens. And what I've done in the past is I have a I've written down all the loose ends, all the magic items that they found that I never came up with a, uh, you know, a reason why they have them, all the NPCs that they interacted with, all of the, you know, the plot lines that they embarked on and the quests that they took and the enemies that they've had and I try and think how many of these things can I wrap up in two or three sessions without making it feel rushed yeah. and you just kind of wrap up what you can. And I, I like I'll be the first to say it's pretty rare that you find a campaign that's wrapped up in a neat little bow, you know, yeah. with an epilogue and yeah. you know everything comes together at the end and things that happen in session one suddenly <laughs> make sense in session twenty. Right. But you know it, it does get to the point where you're like, okay, I'm gonna wrap this up to the best of my ability and uh, just kind of make it work. And I mean that's you know a finale of a TV show is a great example because mm, there are yeah. aspects of that that are really satisfying, and then sometimes you walk away from it saying like. I really wish they would have gone back to this, or I wish this would have happened. what the hell did that mean? Yeah, or what did, yeah, what did that mean? Will we ever know what that meant? But. Most
4: D&D campaigns turn out to be like lost. Lost, or, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> did we really need like three through six? Was that necessary? But the, uh, you know, For scale, Jeff, You know, let's say The Lord of the Rings, all three movies, that's a and d campaign. The Minds of Moria would be one session at the table. Yeah. So, so that's kind of like the the scale you're looking at. And after a while, you're like, you know what? Let's end this. We're going to end this with this awesome battle. And then you have the crappy DMs who's like, no, 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 no. We need three sessions of Epilogue with Frodo and Sam on the mountain and saying goodbye. <laughs> and we need – you know Make it four. Make it four sessions. So, I it, know.
3: again, it, it sounds like it, it has a lot to do with – Thinking fast on your feet, kind of. Oh yeah. Having a feel for it, intuition, insight, and so forth, and so it, I mean, that's
4: got to be the same. A, I mean, a little bit of the same for you, right? I mean, you gotta. Yeah.
3: I, I was thinking that as you were describing it, like it is similar to like when you when you know that you this the story has to start wrapping up, or it's gonna uh, wear out its welcome. It's an instinct. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it's very comparable to that.
0: Also, in, in, in role-playing games, uh, like, you can have something like a long campaign that might run for a year, year and a half, even two years I've seen, um, you know, playing once a week, that sort of thing. Uh, but you can, you can also have what, you know, what we call in the role-playing uh, community, one-shots. We just play one game, and it's just beginning to end. And I guess that would be comparable to say maybe a, a short story in writing, where where you kind of know you have to you have to start here and wrap up in you know you know uh, a two thousand words or whatever it happens yeah. to be you know you, you, you have to, you know you have to complete a story within that short arc yeah so, exactly. uh, yeah uh, so uh, a one shot role playing game is very much
3: like that. I, that I see that that that's something I can yeah definitely understand. Where a short story you have a like you said a a certain word limit or whatever, hmm. you, know, you have to be concise. You can't kind of spread out too much. You gotta you know kind of block out your scenes or whatever. As opposed to like you said a longer campaign a year or two years that that sounds just like a novel to me where you can you can move <laughs> around. You know, you can move it is. <laughs> it is.
4: Quick question for you, Jeff. Um, mm-hmm. So when, when – uh, I'm sure a lot of people have felt this way, and I feel this way a lot. Like oh, I want to write something. Oh, I really want to write a story or I want to make a D&D story or campaign. I want to I write something, but I don't know what. Mm. One of the biggest obstacles for me, for instance, is you know, the blank Word document or the blank sheet of paper. I think anything can go on that sheet of paper, so nothing goes on that sheet of paper. So, so so my question for you is when you if you get that feeling or what advice would you give to me or anyone listening that's like I, I know I want to write something, I just don't know what that story is right now.
3: Wow, well, I I would almost I, I when I when I have a blank Page in front of me. It doesn't stay blank long because if I if I've actually sat down, if I've gone that far, I'm gonna move forward. But if, if somebody found themselves in that position, I would say just kind of write stream of conscious, you know, just just uh just to get the muscles moving, and then kind of you can always throw that away later, but it might lead to something a, a, mm-hmm. a, a certain passage or or it might take you to down the road a particular kind of sequence of events or you may discover a character in there. But I would just kind of just babble, I would just mm. so to speak, just kind of, just don't worry if at if first, if, if if that's what's uh, uh, impeding somebody, don't worry about uh, yeah. where it is now, it, you, you can always go back and, and mold it or discard it or, or whatever.
2: Yeah, that's the 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 shitty first draft method, you know, yeah. where you just you, you get everything out, you get everything that you could possibly think of out, and then you trim it back, you know, like yeah. like you're carving a statue almost. You gotta you gotta get the marble up the stairs and into your studio before you start chipping away at it, you know. So you gotta carry all this crap and make it, you know, make it appear before you before you can start chipping away at it and make it e- into even a semblance of a story. And I feel like that's you know it is very similar with RPGs where you go into a campaign with a million ideas, but yeah. you know only you know thirty, forty percent of them ever make it into the campaign at all.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sometimes stories I'll have, I'll have a, the idea that I that inspired me to begin with it, it ends up never appearing in it. It, it will be yeah. discarded. Um, but at least you you know as long as you're not being allowing yourself to be paralyzed. Yeah. You've got a. <laughs> that-
0: that, honestly, that's the hard part for me because I, I've I've tried writing, and and uh, I get paralyzed when I start writing and I start to second guess what I wrote and I go back to it and and that's 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 the killer for me. Hmm. Um, my most successful writing, actually, ironically, was with Jeff, which which we did a kind of a stream of consciousness thing. I think over the phone, talking about a story and bouncing it back and forth, and we ended up. Just writing a a really short story, yeah, but, the father figure one. Yeah, that was a, fu- a fun experience. It was, it was, and and for me that was the most ironically the most successful because I didn't stop to think about it. I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't even thinking about writing, and uh, that was a big difference I think for me because when I sit down and try to think about writing, I get you know I get locked.
3: Yeah, I I um. Um, it's funny with me. I, I used to write a lot more I, I would just just jump out of the airplane and you know, and <laughs> without even checking to see if I had a parachute on first. <laughs> and I, I, this was seriously back when I first started selling stories to the small press magazine, um, I would uh, write a story in one day. I wouldn't even perforate it. It would go mm-hmm. in an envelope, and it would go into, to the post office, like in a day. Oh, it's awesome! You know, and somehow I sold some of those stories, but you know, but uh, that's that's not the way to do it. But that's the way. I, it, I guess that's the way I needed to get started. Yeah. And um, now I'm I write a lot more slow slowly, mm-hmm. but, but I I'll stare at a paragraph, and I'm doing the I'm kind of doing the things that that. Could could lock you up if that's how you came into it in the first place, maybe. Mm-hmm. but um, but now I'm I'm not a af- I'm not afraid that it's not going to go forward. I'm just yeah. more stealthy about it. I'm more now <laughs> I pick at it more. I, I'm trying to be polish it as I'm going, and I definitely perforate it before I send it out, and I'll wait a couple <laughs> of days before I send it out. And yeah. You know, so I'm 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 slow I'm slower and more careful about it now because I want I'm going for quality, but in the beginning I was you know young and I just wanted to get these stories out there and you know, uh. <laughs> but I mean I, I think that was that was important that I did it that way because I, I it it taught me not to be afraid of of uh, of writing you know,
0: well, I think as a GM that's the important thing too is to not be afraid to put your story out there to. To just present to your characters what they're facing, and then see what they come up with. Because in a role-playing game, you're not alone. You know, when you're writing, it's just you in your head. You know, you can be inspired by things around you, but ultimately, it's it's your uh, what was I looking for? The uh, your creation, your you know. Your muse, so uh, in a role-playing game, you know you you kind of set the set the groundwork, but the players are jumping in and and adding their own
3: story stories to it. Well, yeah, it's 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 interesting. It's it's more sounds like more of a collaborative phenomenon, like a a band playing music together. It sounds something like that that to me. Would be analogy. Absolutely.
0: Um. So, uh, uh, as far as that that kind of idea goes, uh, what is your experience, <clears throat> Barker and Matt, when it comes to finding
4: a muse and writing?
0: Well, just just you know, how do you write for um, your players? You know, because again, you know, obviously you ha- you have an idea as a as a creative person, but you know, once you put that idea out, you know, you're at the mercy of your players, essentially, as to what they're going to do. You know, how, you know, how do you write for that differently?
4: Well, personally, I... I, uh... I control all of their movements. I control everything they do. <laughs> I knew it. I, uh... Actually, no, I had a difficult time with that <laughs> because, you know, I really love writing fiction. I, I love... I love the idea of writing fiction. I feel like I'm not very good at it because I get locked up in all those ways that we discussed. I have a very difficult time uh, bringing the block (laughs) of marble up to the studio. I'm just not that strong. But uh, I I was trying to find that balance. Like, okay, so I want to write a story, but I don't want to write too much of the story. I want to give the players some agency. Because if the players say, if I write all this stuff that's to the left... And the players are like, no, we're going to go right. I have to figure out what's going to happen there. Fuck. Yeah. You know, and what I – instead of saying, Oh uh, yeah, all that stuff to the left is actually now to the right. Ooh. But, uh, I think what I did is I really – I dove into that. I, I really yeah. – I embraced it and I went far onto the other side, the opposite of control. And I started asking my players what they saw when they went into the room. Yeah. And stuff That's like awesome. that. And then, and I think that's where I get my the, the most of my inspiration. Uh, and and I think Jeff, you talked a little bit about this, about you know, just an image of seeing something or um, and and just kind of building on it. Mm-hmm. And I find it so easy to take a single like if 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 a word document just started with one word, like the word train, I could turn that word train into five pages. But the fact that it's blank makes it difficult
2: for me so <laughs> if the players yeah. give me something
4: yeah. then I can run with it and make something better personally
2: yeah yeah the best the best uh, way I could describe it is I, I don't know if you've seen the movie inception but in the movie inception <laughs> there's the architect who creates the dream and then there's the dreamer who fills the dream with people and items it, it, the, their subconscious fills the space and I like to think of role-playing games as as the GM, you are the architect. You set up the labyrinth. You set up the dream, and the players fill it with their subconscious. And so the play, because you can't tell the players what to think or what to see. You can only give yeah. them the information, and they, using their imaginations, you know, fill it out. So that's how what I kind of look at it is like, like you're saying, Barker, like less control. You know, be content with that lack of control and you will enjoy the game a lot more, and it'll be more collaborative as a result, which I find more enjoyable.
4: It also makes me a better fiction writer. If I approach fiction with that same mentality, I I don't get locked up as much, because uh, that's... It's interesting. Getting locked... My primary reason I'm getting locked up is because I lock myself into these certain parameters that I force myself to stay inside. And Jeff, you said something amazing. You you, you you said, uh you know, Punk Town is mine. I, I know that when I, you know, when I go there, I feel, I, you said you feel restricted by real life yeah. and you don't have those restrictions in Punk Town and that is just mind-blowing and in a way, it's just, it's almost a revelation that you're only fenced in by the fences that you built.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I can't. I can't be wrong. <laughs> you know, I can't write anything. Wrong. Nobody could say, "Oh, you know, you, there there isn't that street doesn't exist in in New that's York." That's
0: not real, a punk town. <laughs> Yeah, tell me about. It. And unfortunately, that could happen a lot in in some role playing games. If you're if you're playing in a, in an existing setting, you know that could actually happen. But uh, that's why I love creating my own setting because, you know, as other campaign sort of build on it it becomes its own sort of living organism mm-hmm. and, uh, even if I don't have as much control over it as say you do as a writer uh, it's still organic you know it's still something that evolved yeah you know, outside of my control but it's uh, you know it, it's still a, a living thing and I, I love that aspect of role-playing games
3: what's really cool too is 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 punktown is a very personal place it's my personal yeah. fantasy playground, but again, getting back to the idea of that of the sandbox then then where other people find it so appealing that they want to return to to read about it more and then they want to return to it and yet they want to tell their own stories in it as personal as it is as a setting i'm very Inviting about that, to me it's exciting. It's like yeah, yeah, come over to my house, come to my playground, and it's really cool. (laughs) That's that's gonna be
0: awesome when you create your own when you create this world, and people get so excited about it that when they and and that's I guess the uh, the beauty of a role playing game created from your world, because once role players get in there, man, you know it just it's just gonna go in ways you can't expect. Yeah, you know, you're you're not going to be able to predict, and uh,
3: gonna be, uh, I know I'm going to be envious of some of the things, but... <laughs> man. I wish I had thought of that. You
0: just got to start. Uh, you just got to start.
3: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: On, on a little side note, that kind of reminds me of uh, uh, a story I'd heard. I think it. I think it was true uh, of the uh, the Mist movie mm-hmm. the, that was made from the Stephen King novel, the Stephen King short story, yes. and uh, at the end of the short story, the characters in in the in the in the story had they were driving through this mist, which was kind of like an extra dimensional portal, I guess, to to some other universe where there were these horrifying creatures. And at the end of the story, the in the mist short story, which I think was in Skeleton Crew, they they basically just heard this sort of garbled you know, message on a radio saying, you know, uh, Hartford. You yeah. I Meaning that if they made it to Hartford, Connecticut, they might be okay. Um, but in the movie, they, they ran out of gas trying to make it through the mist, and the main character had to, had to kill essentially everyone who was in the car to prevent them from being, you know, uh, uh, killed by these horrifying creatures, including his own son he had to kill. Mm-hmm. And but he only had enough bullets to kill them. But he had no, He didn't have enough bullets to kill himself. And so at the end, he gets out of the car and he's like, you know, just you know, take me, take me. Uh, by the way, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen The Mist, you know, just stop listening now. Um, and as he's doing that, you know, you see these military tanks sort of moving through the mist, and he's he's actually actually just made it to the edge of the mist and survived but he'd already killed his own son. Yeah. Oh god. You know. And I, I, just remember, I just remember hearing a story that Stephen King said, "Oh man, I wish I had thought of that." <laughs> I, I actually, <laughs> it was such a better ending than mine.
3: Oh my god. I actually hate that ending <laughs> because it's kind of like when 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 you see these guys with the, the soldiers with the flamethrowers like, "Yeah." Yeah, yeah. They go, okay, now it's you almost want you hear a voice go, "Ha ha." You know, like kill your son. Oh, okay, it's, just a little, it's just a little too
0: mean spirited for my. It, it was. It was. It was pretty evil. But um, <laughs> yeah. But
3: but, but I had that feeling. I I I had that feeling where um, um, it, actually there's a um another Kickstarter related to Punktown going mm-hmm. right now. It, it ends on November um, twenty. And it's it, to support a, a Punk Town graphic novel anthem. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Visions from Punk Town. And so um, the scripts are being done by a guy named Christopher Taylor who, who's putting the whole project together. Mm-hmm. He's, he's uh, behind the Kickstarter. He's doing the scripts. He's organizing the whole project. And he brought together this incredible team of artists. And he's been um, transformed lading my, my um, short stories, Punk Town short stories, into mm. scripts. And he lets me look at them to okay them. And, it, and it's kind of like with a role-playing game, I, I told people when they did the scenarios or whatever, they can, yeah. they can do whatever they want, but I would just like to read it just to make sure that the little details are consistent. Right, I wouldn't right. tell anybody, oh, don't have your character do that or whatever. It's just, no, like you said before, no, there are no blue-winged fairies in this world you know, it, to keep things consistent, so, so um, I didn't want to, even yeah. though I'm very possessive of my creations and my world, I didn't want to interfere with his interpretations right. with, with these scripts, because it's, it, it's a different medium, and it mm-hmm. has to do different things, and it has to be cons- very concise, whereas a short story is already concise, it has to be more concise, and it has to, it has to be visual, oriented toward the visuals more. Yeah. So I've been very happy with the scripts he's been doing for these stories because um, he, he, they're faithful to my work. But but they, like I said, sometimes he has to change little things. Mm-hmm. And so there have been those moments where it's like, yeah, you know, I like, I like that. I I it almost makes me think I would have preferred to to have done <laughs> it that way, you know, yeah. or, or to yeah. You know, and he's had to kind of cheat a little bit here and there, and, and, and take shortcuts to, to get the story across. You know, and <laughs> you know, and, uh,
0: the, you know the, there's a similar feeling when you're a GM and uh, uh, Barker and and Matt. Correct me on this if I'm wrong, but when like sometimes you'll set up a scenario for car for you know player characters, and, and and especially if it's like a mystery or something like that, they'll sort of be f- trying to figure it out. And you'll have an idea in mind on what's gonna happen. But they'll be sitting sort of talking, you know, character to character. It's like, well I wonder if, if if this is this is what's happening. And they might come up with an idea that's so much better than yours. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and as a GM, you have the advantage of saying, Yeah. Yeah, maybe oh, yeah, that is yeah. better. That's exactly what happened, eh? <laughs> Yeah, I've definitely so, done that before. And you oh don't yeah, have so. to
4: pay anybody royalties. You don't have to give them credit for it.
0: <laughs> so now you can say as a GM, now you can change that story to suit what the players came up with. To say, you know what, now that is what's happening. You yeah. know, they don't know you have changed it, but they feel clever. Because they figured it out, mm-hmm. you feel awesome because you've come up with a better story, and ultimately you end up with a better uh, experience overall for both
3: player and GM. I'm sure that has a lot to do with the personality of GM. I'm sure there are people out there in the world who are like, no, 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 and they must be control freaks. And yeah, yeah. Like, You're gonna do it the way you know. I have this set in my mind; it's gotta be this way. And 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 I could have been that way. With these scripts, you know, I, yeah. I, I yeah. It, I'm sure another person would be that way. No, you're, you're deviating from my. <laughs> it's my world. Don't
0: deviate, bastard.
3: It's kind of like when you hear Stephen King complain about um, Kubrick's The Shining. Oh yeah, yeah. And I, I suppose if I was Stephen King and I wrote a very personal novel and somebody changed it quite a bit, I'd be upset. But sure. I think he's the only person who could possibly feel that way because come on, it's Stanley Kubrick, you know, if he wants to turn it into a musical <laughs> comedy, I would say yes, you know, but, uh, but... Yeah, yeah. I can understand King's take on it, you know, uh, where sure. he kind of disowns the movie, but, uh, you know, it, it's a, it, again, it's a different medium, and, and it has to do things in a different way, you know?
1: Yeah,
3: yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've read both
0: You know, Stephen King's original novel and Saw the Shining, and they're both beautiful, in their in different ways. Yeah. you know, um, you know and, and I could and uh, I can appreciate them both separately as their own sort of
3: Yeah, and exactly and, and they yeah. are two different things and they Yeah, should, yeah. Be viewed that way one could enjoy them both, you know, and 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 for all and that's why I I'm I've been very open to to whatever Chris had to do with these stories yeah. to make them work as comic scripts, and the only and, and my my input has been minimal because you know it might may, maybe just some small little again just a little detail to make things consistent with the world. I mm-hmm. I didn't want to dictate it about how he was going to tell these stories, you know. And it's, yeah. it's similar a similar thing is going on with the artwork as I see it developed for these for these uh, graphic. Representations of my stories. That's uh, going to be
0: hard. Yeah, because yeah. You, you you have to have a vision in your head as a writer. Yeah, and, and then to have an artist sort of interpret that.
1: The, and,
0: and that and that's kind of the same as a GM. You you're you're sort of interpreting a an image you have, but the players are going to interpret it how they see it.
3: Yeah, which might be different. Yeah. And, yeah. And exactly. it might be still in a cool way, but it might not mm-hmm. be what you envision. Right it, it, one of the stories in particular um, the, the artist has has um, he actually used the he, i gave the, the 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 people on this graphic novel um anthology I gave them the the, the rule book for the role playing game to use the, because i said oh, like really? basically like an encyclopedia so oh, that 's cool filed for that yeah. and, and this one artist decided he was going to try to pack as many punk town aliens as he could into this story because it starts out in an emergency room and so he packed this emergency room with all these different kinds of aliens mm-hmm. and and it's just amazing the detail he put into this image um, and some of the aliens are quite like I envisioned them and some are a little off and some of them are really different from what I envisioned but they're, it's not that he got them wrong he's just interpreting them in a different way but it's still valid it still works so it's really cool again it's like this is my rule but now I have I'm kinda of handing it over to other people to <laughs> kind of bring their own creative uh, vision to it and it's a really really cool experience to see that happen
2: yeah, I'm kind of experiencing that for the first time because uh, Barker and I, we we have an a indie publishing company called Absolute Tabletop, and we've been uh, commissioning artists to do art for the supplements, and it's very similar to what you're talking about where it's, it's characters that have been in my campaigns and that I've written about, and all of a sudden I'm seeing art of them, and it's like, you know, that's not quite how I pictured them, but it is now. You know, like, that's yeah. perfect. You know, it has yeah. just enough of what I envisioned, and then the missing pieces that I, di- I didn't necessarily formulate in my mind. You know, like, I never thought about, like, what what color was his shirt? Or, you know, how did he style his hair and things like that? And all of a sudden, I, I see it in art, and that's just a really cool experience, and it's something I, I enjoy every time I, I see a new piece of art for our sure. supplements. It's just really, really fun. That's
4: yeah. exactly it. Yeah. All dwarves look like Gimli to me until someone draws them. I'm like, oh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I'll, I'll yeah. The Hobbit movies did a huge service to me in showing me how dwarves yeah. might look. You know.
0: Yeah, that was that was interesting. Uh, I, I I when I it's a great. This is a great example. When I when I first saw the uh, preliminary, you know, like uh, what do they call them? Just the storyboards? Well, no, no. Even, even the photographs they originally released of the uh, treatments of the different dwarves. It was like, um, p- part of my brain sort of recoiled like, oh, that's not a dwarf. You know? <laughs> that's <laughs> because, a little man. Yeah, right. Because I've, been, I've been so immersed in... <laughs> that dwarf the... is sexy. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. So, so it, it, it challenged my preconceptions of what a dwarf should be. And ultimately, that was cool because, like, oh, okay, I, I can see it now, and and you can sort of look beyond the your own preconceptions. So yeah, that that was that's a great example. That was cool. Um, so uh, we should probably wrap up soon because it's been uh, uh, a little while now, An but hour uh, and uh, of awesome. <laughs> uh, it it, it, it,
4: it has stuff, uh, man.
3: It, it's yeah good you know, it's been really cool for me is you you guys helped me um kind of envision what it will be like for people who will ultimately play the the punk time role playing game where I don't have that experience you know, I kind of have a sense of, of of how of how they will experience it and and uh, I, I people have told me promised me that they will teach me to play so I can experience it myself. You, know, kind of, uh, you,
0: you, you speak of the three GMs here who are, are very experienced, and any of us would be happy to uh, oh, yeah. to, to run that for you when it,
3: uh, when it, when it comes out. You've know, you kind of, got to handle it, sort so of speak, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, that would be a cool thing to experience for sure. What? But, as I said, go
1: ahead.
4: Oh, I was just going to say, let me tell you what, Jeff, is when you play your Punk Town role-playing game, mm-hmm. you are going to see your world through the eyes of a reader for the first time.
3: Yeah. You know, that, I think I
4: imagine that will be a really cool experience. Um, I would love
3: to see that. Yeah, yeah it it'll be like something like a whole new perspective for me for sure.
0: Yeah. yeah. And and it's the same for every GM who creates a world, you know, especially if they really put a lot of effort into designing it and and putting in this lore and, and creating this. And then once the players enter it and start interacting with it, they're like, whoa, I didn't even see that before. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, and and that's, to me, that's the beauty of role playing and that's why I, well, that's why I love it so much.
4: Or, oh my God, why'd you do that to my world? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's, it's even, even, even then, there is a kind of, uh, I don't know, satisfaction, I guess, in it, in that, you know, the the players have interacted with it enough to destroy it. <laughs> I guess <laughs> they've cared enough to destroy it. <laughs> they've been immersed enough.
3: It, it, it's it sounds uh, like a uh, it, it's a wonderful experience. It, it's yeah. um, I'm reminded, like I was saying before, the the, one, the difference that seems to be that w- with what I'm doing, I'm kind of trying to make a record. Mm. Of what I'm of my creativity, whereas you're living in the moment of creativity, and it sometimes, like for instance, like I said, I I go to I've been to Vietnam, and I'm overwhelmed by the sights I'm seeing, the beauty. It's kind of similar, I think, to 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 going into like a fictitious world like Punktown, where sure. it's, there, there's all kinds of sights and things that you haven't seen before, and, and here I am in this world, and when when I go there, I'm almost despairing sometimes, like I want to. Film everything I'm seeing and take pictures of everything I'm seeing and write notes about everything I'm experiencing, because that's me. I'm the recorder. Yeah. But ultimately, it's about living in that moment, you know. And sometimes I have to kind of remind myself: don't look at it all, all this all through a camera lens. Just yeah, live it. This is the moment. This is what's great. It's just you know. And I think probably what you're experiencing when you play a game is something like that.
2: Yeah
0: absolutely as as a gamer i can say I can definitely say that i can i can visualize experience as experiences i had as a role player back in you know high school mm. and you know I, I remember them and so uh it, yeah it is kind of like that and it makes you want to come back for more obviously. yeah oh absolutely um well um uh, so uh, you have a Kickstarter now. About
3: is is it still going on for your graphic novel? It will go. It will go to November 20th.
0: Yep. Awesome. Yep. So uh, and and this is a Kickstarter for the the
3: uh, well explain it to us. It's it's called Visions from Punktown. Mm-hmm. It's a comic book anthology. It's eight stories, uh, eight Punktown stories, uh, that will be illustrated by eight different uh, artists, and it's they're they're international artists uh, from you know different ones from Turkey ones from Spain and so forth and uh, mm-hmm. one's from France and they're really really talented I mean uh, one of the artists is Rafa Garis, who's uh, done covers for for Marvel and DC so there's a really good crew and uh, we're hoping we make the funding for this um, so that will punk town will first <laughs> upon the comic scene as well as the RPG scene. That would be awesome. How how, how close are you, and and what uh, what? Well, we've still got a long way to go. As we as we're doing this interview, I think we've only got ten days left, so we've got a lot to go. But the way kickstars typically go is they they have a nice spike yeah. in the front, then they have this long, scary, suspenseful dip, and then the they spike again. So we're hoping right. for that spike yeah. again. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
0: it, it sounds exciting. And for those who are interested, the uh, the Punk Town role-playing game will be coming out uh, uh, sometime in the future. Definitely look into that because it is a. Uh, I mean, I, I sort of experienced it a bit in the in the <laughs> in the mid '80s um, uh, uh, through uh, you know talking to Jeff and and actually uh, uh, filming a little bit of. Yeah, you know, it, it, a little bit of that in that world, yeah. we uh, we experienced on, on VHS videotape. We uh,
3: yeah, we, we were making a
0: punktown movie. Yeah, we we were making a movie back then, By and uh, that was awesome.
3: It was a wild little movie. I wish, I wish I'd finished
0: it. I know. E- even then, it was it was just an extraordinary world. So, when uh, keep an eye out for the punktown role playing game. Don't
4: yes, keep an eye out. Let's get the roll up and die listeners out there in mass. Go up to Visions of Punktown. You Google it, and it's the first thing that pops up. Get in there. That's right. Ten days to go. Uh, when you know, when this episode comes out, there will probably only be about five days to go. Actually, no, it's live now, so we can release it today. That's right. So get out it. there and, do and go support this awesome, awesome project because I'm, I'm definitely going to do it. I'm really excited. Yeah,
0: because, I mean, uh, Punk Town is, is just a new it, – I, I would go so far to say it's, it's a new genre for role-playing. Go into it. Oh,
1: yeah. It's, dig it's into
0: cool. it. You know, be different. Just go into it, man. Yeah. Absolutely. So. <laughs> All right. So, well, thanks for joining us, Jeff. Oh,
3: uh, thanks, thanks Alex and Mike and Matt. It, it, was a, it was an awesome experience.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, we, we really appreciate you being here, taking your time. And, uh, uh, Bark, if you want to wrap us up because that's your thing. That's
4: my thing. It's not my thing. I just do it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, thank you very much Jeff this has been awesome it's been inspiring it's been a cool view into the mind of, uh, of a writer like yourself and Punk Town is definitely awesome and it's in a world of cliche and uh, uh, echo rooms it's definitely something unique that stands out as something really cool so I urge anyone yeah. listening to, get, to just get out there, Visions of Punk Town check it out, support this awesome grassroots project and, uh, and let's role play there. That would be awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, oh, yeah, my name is Barker. Uh, oh, I don't have an after... My name is Barker. That's all I say. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
4: and uh,
2: and my name is Matt from A Fistful of Dice. Thank you, Jeff.
3: Okay, thanks again, guys. Uh, thank you so much.
0: And my name is Alex, a.k.a. Captain Gothnog. And uh, thanks, Jeff, again for uh, for joining us. And uh, just stay on. I'll, I'll end the broadcast. Thank you for... Uh...
4: This show has been produced by Roll Up and Die and is copyright 2015. It is owned by all three of the primary hosts. The games, movies, and other properties mentioned in this show are the property of their respective owners. Stealing is wrong. You can find all three of the hosts on YouTube and other websites. Matt is at youtube.com slash a fistful of dice. Captain Gothnog is at youtube.com slash Captain Gothnog. And Barker is at www.beabettergamemaster.com. Listeners are free to use this show in any way, shape, or form as long as credit is provided to the Roll Up and Die podcast. Look for other releases of this show at www.beabettergamemaster.com or at facebook.com slash rollupanddie. Have a fantastic day, and as always, happy gaming.